Please stand for the bride. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the sight of God to join this man and this woman in holy matrimony. Now, I understand that both Evan and Carla have written their own vows. Carla, would you begin? Evan, I promise to be true to you. I promise to frustrate you, to challenge you, to share in the beautiful moments of life. I take you in sickness and in health, unless you get a stomach bug, because I don't do vomit. <laughs> I promise to love you as much as I love my credit card, as long as our credit limit stays high. I take you for richer, or until you're poorer, and I promise to love you and cherish you all the days of my life, until there's more hair on your back than on your head. Well, um, that was honest and unconventional. Um, Evan? I promise to love you, Carla, even though you have a really weird obsession with Taylor Swift and other girly pop music. Um, I will love you, even though your favorite stars include Beyonce and Katy Perry, uh, right up until the point where you make me listen to it. Or you become a believer. No. Um, I promise to love you for richer, or poor, or until you feel the need to purchase yet another $400 purse, I promise to love you as much as I love the Florida Gators, or until you become a Georgia Bulldogs fan. Well, this would be normally where I would ask you to exchange rings, but um, judging by things, I think we need to start over in premarital counseling. Good morning, everybody. Wasn't that awkward? Aren't you glad that you didn't just crash that super awkward wedding? Oh, how weird would that be? Well, uh, that skit helps to set up our marriage series that we're starting today, and I'm super excited about this series because I think this series can help all of us, whether you're married or not. So if you're married, this series can help you strengthen that important relationship. And if you wish you were married, this series can give you some information to help you get ready for that special day and that special someone, that special relationship. If you wish you weren't married, this series can help you like, get that loving feeling back, maybe. And if you never plan on getting married, you look around at you and go like, nope, not me, I'm never getting married ever, then this series can give you some great information that you can use with your friends and your family members who are married. And they might just call you Dr. Phil with all the amazing information that you have. They're like, you're not even married. How do you know this stuff? And like, it's just me. I'm just cool like that. So you can get some great information in this series regardless of your marital relationship. Now, as funny as that skit is, that's really what many people should say on their wedding day. You know, we make a lot of promises on our wedding day. And as a pastor, getting the, the privilege of doing a lot of marriages, I hear a whole lot of promises. And when people then enter marriage and then their expectations aren't met, when everything that they plan on and dream of their relationship being doesn't quite happen, when things don't turn out the way that they plan, then sometimes we make other plans. We say things like this on our marriage day, you know, I'm going to be committed to you forever or until that cute little habit that you have 
becomes an irritating habit that I just can't take anymore. And I'm just going to have to get out. We say, I'll be by your side or until you hurt me deeply. And then I'm probably going to have to hurt you back. I'm going to be with you in good times and bad times or until the bad times outnumber the good times. And then I think I'm going to have to go look for a good time somewhere else. I'll, I'll be with you. I'll be faithful to you forever until you don't live up to my expectations. And then I'm going to go look for a better offer. You know, that's not what God had in mind when he came up with this relationship called marriage. See, God created marriage. It was the first relationship that he created for humanity. And God intended marriage to be this amazing relationship between one man and one woman, totally and freely committed to each other for life. And yet many of us don't experience what God intended. There's too many people today that look at marriage like an agreement that we have with an internet service provider. You know, so we know that there's a temporary you know, contract that we may have to sign, but once that contract ends, if that company is not providing us the service that we expect, we start shopping for another company. And that happens in marriage all the time. If people aren't living up to our expectation, if our spouse isn't living up to our expectations, if they aren't delivering what we expect that they will deliver, then we start looking elsewhere. We have this very consumeristic mindset when it comes to marriage today. And as we're gonna see in the story that we're gonna look at today in the Bible, it didn't start with us. That consumeristic mindset has been something that's plagued humanity for a very long time. Now, I have to warn you about the Bible story that we're gonna look at today. It is a little weird, okay? Um, once you hear it, you're gonna correct me and later say, no, it was a lot of weird, all right? And you're going to wonder, how does this story fit into marriage? And, and how can I learn anything from this super bizarre story? Well, I think this Bible story that we're going to look at today can help us understand some of the expectations that we have when we get into marriage, some of the reasons why we get into marriage, and why some of us don't experience what God intended us to experience when it comes to marriage. So we're just going to dive right into this story. This story involves a man named Jacob. He lived about 4,000 years ago. And at this point in his life where we're going to pick up this story, Jacob is on the run. You see, he's done something very bad. He's stolen something from his older brother, and he's got to take off and, and get out of town because his brother hates him and wants him dead. So Jacob takes off. He starts running. He runs 500 miles away from home. And when he stops running, he stops in this town, and he has this experience that we call love at first sight. So the first woman that he sees is this woman named Rachel. And the Bible says that Rachel was smoking hot. All right, so if you understand Hebrew, that's what it says. That's what it means, okay? That's not what it says. All right, so it means it's a beautiful woman, and Jacob sees a smoking hot woman, and he falls in love with her and wants to marry her, like right away. Now, Rachel ended up being the daughter of a man named Laban, and Laban ended up being Jacob's uncle. Okay, so he goes 500 miles away, ends up finding his uncle and falls in love with his cousin. All right, now for us, we're like, ooh, that's weird. But that wasn't so weird back then. Actually, that was a common practice. Um, it wasn't until God brought the Egyptians out of uh, 400 years of slavery uh, 
sorry, let me correct that. He brought the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians. It wasn't until after that that God said to the Israelites, don't marry close relatives. But this was well before that. So we have Jacob. He ran far away from home. He traveled 500 miles uh, by foot, by himself, fell in love with his cousin. And again, he wanted to marry her right away. Now, Genesis 29, verse 14 says, after Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Verse 16 says, now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Now, that statement about Leah's eyes was a very polite way to say that she was not attractive, okay? So that was just a really nice way to say that. Other translations, translations say she had weak eyes or she had dull eyes, but again, that was just a, a nice way to say she's not a very attractive woman, especially when compared to her sister. So Jacob says to Laban, like, here's my wages, here's the deal, here's what you can, can give me as my payment is you can give me Rachel, your younger daughter in marriage. That would be ideal. Now, let's think back through Jacob's story a little. His brother hates him and wants him dead. He's on the run from, from that uh, event in his life. His dad is very upset with him for the decision that he made and for stealing from his brother and his relationship with his dad is broken. His mom helped him to steal from his brother and yet he can't even be around her because he was forced to leave. So here's Jacob. Even though he found his uncle and his cousins, he's living with family, he doesn't know them. And even though he's with them, here he is all alone in a foreign country, and now he wants to get married. Now, I'm going to read into this story a little bit because the Bible doesn't always tell us what's going on behind the scenes. But I wonder, why was it that Jacob wanted to get married so quickly? Why was he so eager to marry Rachel when he had just met her? I mean, it just really briefly met her. And now a month later, he goes like, hey, like, let me marry your youngest daughter, daughter, Rachel. Was it because he was lonely? Was it because he had ruined his family relationships back home and he was on the run? And was he trying to fill the void that he had caused in those bad decisions? And was he thinking, you know what, I'm going to get married. This is going to solve all my problems. I won't be lonely anymore. And Rachel will help heal my broken heart. Now, if you've been married any length of time, you understand that marriage won't necessarily end your loneliness. There are very many married, lonely people. And you also understand that marriage won't necessarily end a broken heart. It can actually add to the, the brokenness that we feel in our lives. Now, again, I'm reading into this story a little bit because we're not exactly sure what's going on in Jacob's mind. Again, why was he so eager to get married so fast? Did he want to marry her because he was kind of a shallow guy? I mean, he saw this beautiful woman. Is he thinking, man, I'm the new guy in town. Let me marry her. She's the hottest chick around. I walk into, uh, to, into town with her on my arm. People are going to think, I'm the man. How many people get married with that kind of a, a motive? Or was he even more superficial than that? Did he want to marry her so he could have legal sex with a beautiful woman? We aren't exactly sure. But the last two things that I just mentioned, 
uh, are going to seem like they're more plausible than the other things as this story continues to unfold. Now, most of us know that we shouldn't get married just because of physical attraction. Physical attraction shouldn't be our highest priority in selecting someone, but you know, think about all of the people that get married today. Think about all that, uh, that our culture says to us about that, and when people see each other and, and we feel like sparks fly and we go, he's, he's so attractive or, or she's so beautiful, we're going to live happily ever after. It's just going to be perfect. We're going to live on love. It's going to be amazing. And then we get married. And find out, you know what, you're not as attractive as you once were. And wow, like that makeup wears off, doesn't it? And, <laughs> and wow, you're not the person that I, I once thought you were. Now, when it comes to attraction, I think that um, we should be attracted to our spouses. I think that's an important piece of the puzzle, but it's definitely not the whole puzzle. And, you know, I think about my relationship with my wife. I'm extremely attracted to my wife, beautiful woman. But relationships built on attraction only won't last very long. And I truly think that marriage can help us in some of our loneliness. It, it can. And I think it can help heal some past wounds that we have. But if that's the reason we're getting married, we're setting our, our marriage up for failure. But again, there's way too many people today that think that marriage will solve my problems. That marriage will make me happy. Marriage will make me complete. Marriage will meet all of my physical needs and my emotional needs. But the problem is that marriage was never intended to do all of those things. Another human being can't possibly meet all of our needs. Only God can do that. When we have the expectation that marriage will solve all of our problems, we set ourselves up for failure. We set our, ourselves up for a heartbreak. Only God can truly make us happy. Only God can uh, make us complete. And only God can truly meet all of our needs. So in our story here with Jacob, it seems like he's getting into this marriage very quickly with some questionable motives for why he wants to get married. But look what he does in verse 18, Genesis chapter 29, verse 18. It says, since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Now, ladies, isn't that like a hallmark moment for you? It's like, oh, wouldn't it be so amazing to know your man thinks you're that valuable, you're that lovely, you're that captivating, that he'll work seven years to earn your love? Guys, if you're sitting next to a woman, just hold her hand for a second. Like, it, you know, she's probably on top of the world. Well, that's the first thing I think that Jacob does right in, in getting into his marriage. So he worked hard to build it. He worked hard to build this relationship. He invested seven years and getting to know Rachel and her family. He invested seven years in building his wealth so that he was ready not just for their wedding day, he was ready for their marriage. And, you know, I wish more people would do that today. I wish more people would slow down, take their time to get to know each other, to really get to know each other before they say, I do. I wish more people would prepare more for their marriage and not just their wedding day. You know, if the foundation of a relationship is, I gotta have it now, 
And that relationship probably won't last very long or it'll probably be a very painful experience because it takes time to get to know each other. It takes time for two people to figure out whether they should be right for each other, whether they really could make a marriage last. And just because two people are Christ followers, that doesn't mean they should get married. And just because two people are attracted to each other, that doesn't mean that they should get married. Just because two people really want to get married doesn't mean they really should get married. There's a whole lot more to it than than just that. When I'm talking with couples that are interested in getting married, one of the things that I encourage them to do is to date at least one year before deciding to get married. That way they can get to know each other a little bit better. If either of them have been divorced before, I think it's a great idea to wait at least two years before getting married. And some of us hear that and go, whoa, two years, like, wow, like that's a long time. I don't know if I can wait that long. But what happens in that time frame is that uh, the person who has been divorced can spend some time healing from that potentially broken relationship, that stuff that, that left maybe some wounds in them. And it, what it does is it helps them know for sure that I, that door has closed. I'm opening a new door and I'm not just jumping into a rebound relationship. You know those relationships that we get into? When uh, we just want to fill the void that we have, we just want to fill the emptiness that we feel inside, we want to feel excitement again, we want to feel emotions, we want to feel loved, we want to feel like we're being loved. And so we jump into this relationship, it's a rebound relationship, and all that it does is distract us from the wound that we feel. And that wound will come back up later. It'll come back up later, maybe a year down the road, or two years down the road, or 10 years down the road. And so I just think we need time to slow down and make sure we're really ready for this amazing relationship. So if you are considering marriage, I encourage you to take your time. Take your time. Get to know that person. Spend some time around their family and their friends. Watch how they treat their parents. If you're a woman, pay close attention to how your future husband treats his mom because there's a good chance he's gonna talk to you the same way he talks to his mom. If you're a a, a husband or, or a man, pay attention to how your future wife treats her dad. There's a good chance she's going to interact with you based upon how she interacts with her dad. And I encourage you also to spend some time getting to know what's important to that person. So you've got to watch. Watch what's important to them. Don't just listen to what they say. Watch what they show. So is God important to them? Is work important to them? Is success important to them? Is money important to them? What's important to them? And again, we're not gonna know those things if we just listen to what they say. There's too many people that that tell me after getting married, well, he said that God was important. She said that she wanted to be active in church. You won't know that unless they show you that. So don't just listen to what they say. Hang out with them long enough that you can actually see it and you can tell them, here's what's important to you based upon what I've seen in your life. I've seen you live this way. So I I have a better idea of what's important to you. So date someone long enough that you can see the type of person that they are and find out what's important to them. Now, if you've been dating someone for 10 years and you haven't figured it out yet, like either you have a commitment problem or they have a commitment problem, like you've had enough time around each other to make a decision. So it's time to to move forward or get out of that relationship. It's time to make a decision there. You've had enough time for that. Now, 
Back into our story. So in verse 19, Laban, Jacob's uncle, he accepts Jacob's offer to work seven years for, for uh, his younger daughter, Rachel, in marriage. And verse 20 says, so Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. And guys, if you have totally messed up Valentine's Day, which was yesterday, like if you forgot, you're now getting that information right now in the service, like, oh, it was Valentine's Day. So this next line is a great one. It's like, go home, write it in a card and give it to your girlfriend or your wife, okay? So it says something like this. So but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. So if you write, you hear the ladies? I mean, they're like flying high. This is awesome. Now, when you write that, don't, don't write Trent said to write this, all right? So like, like credit yourself on that one. All right, so verse 21, the first part of that says, finally the time came for him to marry her. Now, watch what Jacob says next. It's gonna sound romantic, but it's not. He said in verse 21, he said, I have fulfilled my agreement. Now give me my wife so I can marry her. Now some translations say this, give me my wife so I can have sex with her. In the original language, what Jacob said was not very honoring. Uh, it was not very loving wasn't respectful at all to Rachel, wasn't respectful at all to her family. And basically, this is what he said. I did my part. Now give me my wife so she can do her part. Now, ladies aren't feeling all that warm fuzzy anymore, are, are you? But think about how this applies to our marriages today. Many relationships erode into a set of demands that we make on each other because we've done our part. While dating, there are some men who feel like they have the right to have sex with a woman that they've spent money on. It's his expectation to demand that he has. Like, hey, I took you out for a nice dinner. I took you out for a nice movie. Least that you could do. You kind of owe me. I did my part. You should do your part. Even after marriage, our relationships can drift into a set of demands that we make on each other. You know, I've been at work all day, at least when I come home, you could have the house clean. At least you could have dinner ready. Or, hey, I've put up with your family for years. At least you could put up with my family. You, know, you got to go out with your friends last week. I mean, it's my turn. You owe me. Like, I need to go out with my friends. Or, you had an affair on me. Basically, you owe me whatever I want because I'll hold this over you for the rest of of our lives. Sometimes we put our demands on God. We say, God, I've been working so hard to obey you. You owe me. I've done my part. You owe me. You either owe me a husband, you owe me a wife, or maybe you owe me a new husband, or maybe you owe me a new wife because this one that you know, I picked first time around didn't work out so well. You owe me. I've done my part. So it's time for you to step up and fulfill your part of the bargain. Now, relationships that fall into a set of demands often don't last very long. Now, watch what Laban does in verse 22, okay? This is um, gonna be weird, all right? Verse 22. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. So he said, all right, so I'm gonna let, your, uh, let you marry my daughter, and we're gonna call everybody together for this big party that we're gonna have. Uh, verse 23. But that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob 
and he slept with her. Now, apparently there was a lot of alcohol at the wedding, and Jacob had drunk way too much or something, you know, so like he can't tell who, like who he's sleeping with. Um, and he wakes up in the morning, and it's Leah, and he rages at Laban. He says, what have you done to me? I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? I told you this was a really weird story. But can you imagine that? Can you imagine? You think you're marrying Cinderella and you wake up to one of her stepsisters? Like, how horrible would that be? I mean, like, ah! Like, are you kidding me? What happened? What did you put in the punch? Like, that's not good. Not good at all. Now, here's the bottom line for today. All right? And I'm sure that you are so eager to know what I think the bottom line of this weird story is. So pay attention. Whenever... We think that marriage is the answer. Whenever we think that marriage will solve our problems, we may go to bed with Rachel, but we will always wake up to Leah. All right, all right, so let's laugh for a moment. So when we think that marriage is going to solve my problems. This person's going to meet all of my needs. I mean, they're going to be able to, to fix what's broken in me. They're going to fix my loneliness. They're going to bring me all the happiness I could ever want. Whenever we think that, we're really in for a rude awakening. When, whenever that, you know, it may be the next day, it may be a year later, we wake up and go, wait a minute. You're not the same person I married You're not the same person I thought I was marrying. Like, who are you? Who is this imposter that's in my life? And the reality is your husband can't meet all your needs. Your wife can't meet all your needs. It isn't possible. You can't even meet all of your spouse's needs. It's not possible. Only God can meet all of our needs. Now, are there needs that are met through marriage? Yes, there are. There there really are. But the first step in finding fulfillment in marriage is finding fulfillment in God. That's the very first step. If you want to be truly happy in your your marriage, if you really want to find fulfillment in that relationship that God designed for, for humans to experience, we've got to start by finding fulfillment in our relationship with God. Now we're going to jump back into our story and we're going to follow Leah's story a little bit. We're going to watch what she, she does in this really weird spot that she's found herself in. In verse 27, Jacob and Laban come to an agreement and Laban says, listen, I'll let you marry my daughter Rachel as well, but you got to agree to work seven more years. And so Jacob goes, okay, I'll do that. They come to an agreement and Jacob ends up with two wives, one that he loves and one that he doesn't love. Now imagine what it would be like to be in Leah's spot, okay? Your father has really kind of tricked you as well, kind of stuck you in a relationship that you're not all that super excited about either because your husband doesn't love you. And maybe some of you don't have to imagine what that's like. Maybe some of you know what it's like to be stuck in a marriage where you feel like you're not loved where this this person that you had committed your life to and they had committed their life to you doesn't love you. So maybe you don't have to imagine what Leah has felt like, but watch what she does in her attempt to fix this. So in verse 31, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. 
So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. And so she's thinking, you know, if I can just give Jacob a son, then maybe he'll fall in love with me. But that doesn't happen. So verse 33 says, she soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. She named him Levi, for she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I've given him three sons. Leah did everything she, she possibly could to get Jacob's love and affection. And maybe you're doing the same thing. Maybe you think, you know, if I can just get that surgery, maybe my husband will, will look at me again. Maybe if I can just make more money, maybe my wife will finally be happy and maybe she'll fall in love with me when I provide her stuff. Maybe you think if I can just change this about myself or if I can change that about myself, maybe there's hope for for our relationship. Just maybe it's possible. We do some desperate things in our attempt to get the love that, that we so desire, we so deeply desire and that's what Leah was doing. Again, she was doing anything and everything she thought she could do to get Jacob's attention. Now, watch what she does in verse 35. Verse 35 says, once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, now I will praise the Lord. Other translations say, this time, this time. The other three times, I didn't praise the Lord. The other three times, I was just trying to do everything I could to to get Jacob's attention and love. But this time, this time is different. This fourth child is different. This fourth attempt is different. It's gonna be different now. I'm gonna praise the Lord. I'm not gonna praise my husband or try to get that from my husband. I'm I'm gonna praise God for what he has given me. So she finally took her eyes off Jacob. She put her eyes on God. She began to realize that God was the only one who could meet all of her needs. God was the only one who could make her feel the love that she so desperately wanted to feel. Now, was she wrong in her efforts to get Jacob's affection? No, she wasn't. She wasn't wrong at all. Her eyes were just on the wrong place. She kept trying to get from Jacob what she couldn't get from Jacob. And she realized, you know what, I need to get this from God. She began to turn her attention to the right place and on the right person. Now, Watch what God does with this. Leah was the mother of Judah, and years later, guess who was born through the bloodline of Judah? Jesus. Jesus was born through the bloodline of Judah. So God chose Leah, not Rachel, to bring Jesus into the world. An amazing privilege that was handed to Leah. And God loves to do things like that. God loves to fix what's broken. God loves to bring good things out of bad things. God loves to bring life out of things that look like they're dead. And maybe you feel like that in your marriage. Maybe you feel like your marriage is dead. And I want you to know this morning that God can fix that. God can bring a dead marriage back to life. God can fix what's broken and help us experience something that we've only dreamed possible. So here's what I recommend for for all of us. If, If you're married, the first thing I recommend is spend your time trying to please God. 
Focus your energy on God and pleasing him. If you spend your time trying to make God happy and and, uh, doing what God asks of you in your relationship, God will show you how you can possibly fix your marriage. God can show you how to love your spouse when you don't even like your spouse. God can fix what's broken inside of you and he can use your broken relationship to do that. And you may say, well, I thought the relationship had to be fixed first. And God comes along and says, no, I'm going to use this broken marriage to fix something that's been broken in you for a whole lot longer than you've been married. So God can transform all of us from the inside out if we'll just keep him as our primary focus. Now, the second thing I encourage all of us to do is come back for all of the series There's a whole lot of information that we're going to be learning together in this series. And uh, today, again, we're scratching the surface of the subject. And um, I encourage you to come back. Just commit to come back. And if your spouse isn't here today, pray for them and invite them to come. Say, would you come? Would you come to this this series that we're in? Uh, We're doing this series, this marriage series. And maybe they'll come. Maybe they'll hear information that just might help change some things in their hearts and just might help get your marriage back on the track that, that you want it to be on. Now, the third thing that I encourage you to do is sign up for the Weekend to Remember conference that Cody had talked about early uh, in the announcement. So it's coming March 13th, 14th, and 15th. So that's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we would love for all of our married couples to go and be involved in this. It can really help give you the tools that you need. If your marriage is doing great, awesome. Go and just have like a tune-up to your relationship. My wife and I have gone. It's been a great conference. It's a great thing that, that God has used in our lives. If your marriage isn't doing so well, it really can give you some tools that you need to help fix your relationship. Now, um, in the back, uh, Tim's back there. I don't know, Nathan might be back there as well, but there's a table back by our tech table. Stop by there and you can pick up a card. It's got the information for how you can register. And here's the cost, $250, all right? And some of you may go, $250, I don't have $2.50. How are we gonna pull this off? Well, um, let me just say, I think $250 is a small investment to make in the most important relationship that you have. Now, we were able to negotiate that price down. So we have that price at, at, at 250 And what we've decided to do at, at Epic is we've decided to throw in an extra $50. So if you sign up and go to this thing, we'll, we'll cut you a check for 50 bucks that you can use towards it, help get the cost down, or you can, can go out on a, a romantic dinner or whatever. Um, so all you have to do is you've got to sign up, register, you've got to go. Like, you've got to go. So, you know, don't sign up and then not go and think we're paying you 50 bucks. Go and we'll pay you 50 bucks, okay? And um, again, I really think this, this um, marriage conference can help uh, all of us. And if, if money is an obstacle, don't let it be. Talk to Tim, talk to Nathan in the back. Uh, we really want to support marriages and help them get stronger. So if money's the thing keeping you from going, let us know that. And we'll see how God can provide a way around that. Now, as we close today, in just a minute, our worship team's gonna come out and they're gonna guide us through a song that talks about how to keep our eyes on God, that we need to keep our eyes on him and him alone. So what I encourage you to do as this kind of defining moment as, as we're getting ready to leave today is determine to keep your eyes on God and not your spouse. Your spouse is not gonna be able to meet all your needs. It's not possible, but God can. God can meet all your needs. So in your relationship right now, what I encourage you to do through this song is just determine, God, I'm gonna keep my eyes on you. I'm gonna look up to you and I'm gonna let you teach me how to become the person you want me to be in this relationship.
that I'm in. Now, um, today we've talked about some of the expectations that we have when we get into marriage, but next week we're gonna look at God's expectations. What does God expect of us? If you're a Christ follower, God's got some big expectations for us. Uh, And we need to understand what those expectations are. If we're going to have a marriage that represents Christ to the world, we're going to have a marriage that really honors God. So I hope you'll come back for that. So let's pray together and then our worship team will come out. God, I thank you for even these really weird stories in the Bible that we read and wonder, how in the world is that going to apply to my life? And, and yet, God, as we kind of pull the story apart, we start finding ourselves in the story. Lord, we start seeing that, you know, maybe I had the wrong expectations when it came to marriage. Maybe I got into marriage uh, with some bad motives. Maybe I thought it would fix something in me. Maybe I thought it was my answer. Maybe I thought it would solve all of my problems. And then I got married and found out later that it just added another problem to my life. Lord, so many of us have the wrong expectation. So many of us have our eyes in the wrong place. We're looking at our spouse thinking they're gonna give us everything we need. And then we realize that's not possible. Another human being can't possibly meet all of our needs. Only you can do that. So Lord, today, we've just begun the conversation on how to have marriages in a way that really honor you. So Lord, I pray that today we would determine to keep our eyes on you, not our spouse. That we would look to you the way that Leah did and say, I'm gonna praise you you, Lord, for this relationship that I have, even if it's doing great, even if it's broken, even if it's in a bad spot, it doesn't matter, Lord, I'm going to praise you for what I have. And Lord, I pray that as we walk through this series together, you will strengthen us through this. Lord, I pray that we would find the resources that we need to begin to have a marriage that we've always dreamed of having a marriage that you've designed us to have. So Lord, we need your help in that. We're gonna look to you for that. So guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Dennis Ramey, president of Family Life. And for more than 35 years, Family Life has hosted a live marriage event known as the Weekend to Remember. More than two million people have experienced this fun, romantic, life-changing weekend. There's one coming to your area soon, and I personally believe it's one of the finest investments a married couple can make in their marriage. Your journey through married life has so many triumphs and treasures along the way. Your time at the weekend, remember, will be more than just a good memory. It's going to be a spiritual milestone. Spending just one weekend with us can give you the kind of marriage God intended you to have. A stronger marriage, a solid foundation for your family, a legacy in the making. This getaway weekend is a time to come together as a couple to invest in and strengthen the spiritual foundation of your marriage. No matter how firm or fragile your marriage is, invest in a weekend to remember and reap the rewards for a lifetime. Awesome. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, as one of our action items for our marriage series, we would love every couple to go to a weekend to remember. So it's actually going to be happening on March 13th through the 15th, and it's going to be up at the World Golf Village. So if you're interested in being a part of that, we actually have a table set up in the back there. We'll have signups, um, as well as Trent's going to be giving a little information about that and uh, telling you a little bit about more, that more in the message. 
Um, now, we have a little celebration. We're going to bring it upon you guys. Um, a little update. We have a couple of our church family members, Gary and Terry Antosh. Um, their daughter's been in the hospital for 80-plus days now. She actually had a life-threatening blood infection. I know a lot of you guys have been praying for them. But a little update on that is that she was released two days ago, and she's actually at home now. So you can yeah, go ahead and clap. Very cool stuff, and I just want to say thank you for praying for them. And also, keep on praying for them. This is going to be a tough transition going back into the home, so keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Um, now, my name's Cody Anderson, and I'm so happy you guys are here. If, you guys, if you're new with us today, um, if you could, just stop by the Connection Center on your way out. We'd love to personally meet you and answer any questions that you may have. Now, we have, um, last week we started our five-week group experience to join men's, women's, and couples groups. Now, if you missed out on last week, you can still come tonight. There's still opportunity. You can dive right back into it. So we're going to be meeting over at Palm Coast Community Church. Um, it's going to be at 4 o'clock till 5.30, and we do have child care um, for sixth grade and below. So please come out, check that out. You'll have the opportunity to jump into one of those community groups. Um, now, if you could, you have an announcement sheet on your chair. If you could pick that up for me. I have several announcements, so please be patient with me. As you guys can see, I wore my shirt um, today for our marriage, uh, our marriage series here. It says, sorry, this guy's already taken by a smoking hot dental hygienist, if you know my wife. So she dressed me, obviously. So we're still working out those details, but preparing for today. Now, we have some, uh, a couple of awesome family-centered events coming up. Um, how many of you have been to a drive-in movie? I know I'm dating some of you, and some of you are like, no, I really don't want to raise my hand. Yeah, it's been years, right? So Epic Kids is having a drive-in movie. Um, it's going to be on March 7th here at Buddy Taylor Middle School at 5.30, March 7th at 5.30. And they're going to have a car decorating contest, as well as popcorn, candy, soda, everything to get them amped up and send them back to you guys. It'll be awesome. Um, but uh, there's also going to be the car decorating contest that we will be supplying the boxes for. So the only thing that you have have to bring are going to be a pillow, a blanket, a chair, just to be comfortable because as you can see, the floor is not any more comfortable in the chairs that you're sitting on. So make sure you prepare for that. And uh, please sign up online so we know we have enough stuff for everybody. Um, you can go online at theepicchurch.com, sign up tab, and go down to drive-in movie and check that out. Now, another family event we have is our gleaning. As you are aware, there's billions of pounds of food that go to waste here in the United States every single year, as well as millions of people that don't have enough food to eat. So here at Epic, we'd like to take a shot in helping bridge that gap of hunger. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be gleaning. And what gleaning is, it's a, a biblical practice of going out and picking produce that would normally go to waste. And we're going to be taking that produce over to, um, it's going to be um, the food pantry, and we're going to be giving it to families in need. So that's going to be on February 28th. We're going to be gleaning. It's a great family event, awesome activity. And again, make sure you go to the gleaning tab, which is under sign up, um, sign up up there on uh, theepicchurch.com. Now, another way that we can continue to impact lives is through giving. And if you call Epic your home and you'd like to give back to what we're doing here in the community, uh, there's two ways that you can do that. You can do that online at theepicchurch.com, or you can do it in the giving boxes, which are directly behind you. Now, before we jump into our marriage series and Trent comes out, I'd like to pray for us to be able to get us started. So let's go ahead and pray. 
Father God, what an awesome series that we're in. To be able to come here and just study more about our, our relationships and our marriages and um, just to have Trent speak truth into our lives, Lord. No matter if we're looking to get married or we're married now or we've been married for years, there's something that we can always grab during a series like this. So, Lord, I ask that you give us focus, that you give us clarity, and you just be with us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> 